Hello, welcome to the For the Love of Film podcast. I am the host, Scott David Chase. Um, it has been a while. Um, I feel like the last like four or five of these that I've recorded, I've said it's been a while. Because, you know, 2020 into 2021 was a, I mean, bleak time in a lot of ways, but bleak time for seeing movies in the theater for certain. Uh, definitely for me, living here in Seacoast, New Hampshire, um, the theaters were closed for like seven and a half months. Um, I'm excited because I got to see, I saw three movies in the theater this past week as they just reopened about a week ago, uh, eight days ago to be exact. And um, I'm going to talk about the movies that I saw. Um, uh, also, uh, kind of a kind of a sad note because of everything that happened, uh, Cinemagic, all of their New Hampshire uh Maine and Massachusetts locations have closed permanently, which is a bummer. It was never my first choice to go to the theater, but um, I saw a lot of films there. There was one in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, where I am located now, and um, would go to a lot of movies with my buddy Bob, and I know that he frequented Cinemagic a lot. Um, I like Cinemagic. I just happen to um, I have the Regal Pass, so I go to the movies at Regal a lot. So that's sad, and just when any movie theaters close, it's it's a bummer because, you know, I love seeing movies in the theater. But um, <clears throat> I'm going to talk about seven movies that I saw recently. Um, actually, they're all new. Um, I've, you know, over the last several months, I've uh, been watching, revisiting a lot of old favorites because most of the movies that are available digitally or, you know, through Redbox uh, are not very good. And I'm going to talk about a couple of those. I'm going to talk about um, the th movies I saw in the theater. Uh, one movie that I bought, Sight Unseen, which I actually enjoyed. Um, uh, and, uh, <clears throat> yeah, I'm just going to kind of – I'm much less uh, – <clears throat> I'm much less prepared than I normally am for these. I just kind of – you know, I'm stoked to be uh, – um, seeing new movies in the theater again. So I'm not, uh, I don't know if the, the, the movies I saw in the theater weren't great, but I was just excited to see them in the theater. I'm going to see a movie next week that, um, I am looking forward to seeing the theater. I mean, the first movie that I'm really looking forward to see in the theater will be at the end of the month when I go see a quiet place Two, which I had tickets to see it about 14 months ago, but then you know, everything shut down. Um, the movie I'm seeing next week is Those Who Wish Me Dead, um, which, um, yeah, I'll talk about that on the next episode, or actually two episodes from now, because after this episode, uh, I'm going to record another episode, because in the time that I wasn't seeing new movies in the theater um, over the last month or so, I watched all of the Coen Brothers films, which I had seen most of them already, but I decided to watch them mostly in order. Um, I had to go a little out of order. You know, I started watching No Country for Old Men and re-watching that. I had seen that before. I've seen that probably about five times now and really enjoyed that and decided to uh, kind of just delve into their whole catalog. So that'll be the next episode that comes out will be me talking about that. But so for this, um, the movies that I'm going to be talking about are uh, Wrath of Man, here today, every breath you take, the little things, uh, Judas and the Black Messiah, Nomadland, 
and then All I Can Say, which is a documentary. Um, so yeah, the two movies I saw in the theater, uh, I actually saw three movies in the theater, but the first movie I saw in the theater, uh, I walked out 45 minutes into it. I'm not even going to bother reviewing it because I feel if I don't see an entire film that it's not fair for me to review it. Um, you know, who knows? It could have turned around and become this amazing cinematic epic. Uh, I'm fairly certain it wasn't, but I'm not going to bother going into it because I have nothing good to say about the film that I walked out of. So we'll just leave it at that. Um, I did see, and this was, I did a, uh, this was on Tuesday. Um, I'm recording this on a Saturday. Uh, I watched two movies. Um, I went to O'Neill Cinemas in Epping, New Hampshire, because they're Tuesdays. It's five for five dollars. They are not a sponsor or anything like that. It's just a theater I really like, and they're uh, you know they're a small company. I think they have three locations, but um, every Tuesday, any movie is five dollars, which is fantastic. So um, I saw here today, uh, which is uh, co-written, directed, and starring Billy Crystal, also starring Tiffany Haddish. Um, I. I try and remind myself this, that when I hear someone talking about a film on a podcast, just because it's an interesting conversation and just because I like that person doesn't mean that the film itself is going to be very good. This is case in point. Billy Crystal was on uh, Chris Hardwick's ID10T podcast and was talking about how this project came to light. It was interesting. You know, Billy Crystal's very entertaining, uh, very you know, uh, I like Billy Crystal. You know, I, th- I don't know anyone who doesn't like Billy Crystal. And this was a bit of a pra- passion project for him. And, you know, I, so I was like, oh yeah, I'll go see that. Um, just, it's not a bad movie per se. It's just, it, I mean, it's a very sweet movie, but it's not particularly funny. Um, I don't know if it's because I've become more cynical over time, but it's also, you know, Bill, Billy Crystal 72 or 73, and it's kind of a, it, you know, it deals with a guy who, a uh, guy who has dementia. That's not, it's not giving anything away about it. Um, but uh, kind of coming to terms with his family. And it just seemed, I don't know, to me, it just didn't hit me right. It was, uh, it was fine. Uh, like I said, it's not a bad movie. It's just not, it's not a great movie. And uh, for me, at least, if you're a Billy Crystal fan, it might be worth checking out. But other than that, um I can't really recommend this movie, um, which I hate to say because it's, you know, it was clearly a passion project for him. He put a lot into it. You know, obviously a lot of people worked hard on that, but um, just not an amazing film for me. Um, so, yeah, I would give um, uh, here today, I would give here today a five out of ten. Um, it, it In tone, and I don't even remember the name of the movie, but there was a, a movie that Kathy Lee Gifford uh, wrote and was in that I saw last year, um, you know, seven or eight months ago with Craig Ferguson and it had that similar tone to it where there's two or three actors in it who are known actors and everyone else is clearly not someone who has been in film before. And it just feels like, uh, I don't know. There's, there's, um, a theater company near where I live in Ogunquit, Maine. You know, it's a, it's a half an hour drive from here. And every summer they would get, you know, Sally Struthers would be one of the actors they bring in a lot, but they get a name actor and then, you know, just regular uh, company would act there. And it, that's what this film feels like, whereas, you know, Billy Crystal and Tiffany Haddish and everyone else that's in it is a 
no name actor. And uh, yeah, that's how it was. Um, the next movie I saw was Wrath of Man, which is a new Guy Ritchie film, which, you know, uh, his movie that came out in 2020, The Gentleman, really took me by surprise. I hadn't really liked a Guy Ritchie movie in a while. And this just had kind of the feel of the, uh, you know, smoking aces, snatch, lock, stock, and two smoking barrels. Uh, I don't know why I said smoking aces. That's not uh, that's not Guy Ritchie. I, I said smoking aces. I meant snatch. So yeah, lock, stock, and two smoking barrels and snatch, and um, you know even rock and roller, uh, which came out later, just had a feel to it that was uh, um, what I like to call classic Guy Ritchie. And um, you know he reteamed with Jason Statham in this one, and uh, but it's set in L.A. rather than London. Most of his crime dramas are. are uh, set in London, and this is more of an action film than, uh, you know, less talking, more action, and, um, I don't know, it just didn't quite work for me, um, it was entertaining enough, but I just didn't care about these characters, it, like, it felt like, kind of like a, a low-rent version of Michael Mann's Heat, but they just didn't do the legwork for me to care about any of the characters in it, so when what befalls all of them in this, you know, um, armored car robbery heist gone completely wrong. I just didn't care about them. And then the second crew that's kind of introduced, they're introduced way too late in the film and I don't get to know any of them. I don't know. It just felt like someone trying to make their version, an American version of a Guy Ritchie film. It just happened to be Guy Ritchie doing it. And, um, you know, Jason Statham, not bad, just kind of playing the character he always plays and stuff. And, um, Josh Hartnett was pretty wasted in it. And, uh, um, I, I, as far as his talent wasted, not, he was, he was not inebriated when he made it. Um, or at least not, not as far as I could tell, but, um, yeah, just wrath, wrath of man, really kind of a swing and a miss too. But, you know, uh, like I said, I was psyched to see movies in the theater, so that's okay, but I'd give Wrath of Man a 6 out of 10. Um, and then, let's see, a couple, couple Redbox titles. Actually, I, these next four I all saw on Redbox, but a couple of them did have theatrical releases, and they bo- and a couple of them won Oscars. Um, I watched this movie, Every Breath You Take, um, Casey Affleck and uh, uh, Michelle Monaghan. And also, what's his actor's name? Sam Claplin, which I've never seen him in anything before. It's a kind of a psychological drama. Uh, I don't know. I had it, Casey Affleck plays a psychiatrist. Michelle Monaghan plays a <laughs> a real estate agent. You know, their husband and wife. Um, they reteamed. They had acted opposite each other. You know, fifteen years ago in Ben Affleck's directorial debut, Gone Baby Gone. And they had great chemistry in that. They have zero chemistry in this movie, um, which works actually for this film because they're they're a married couple that are, um, you know, their marriage is is falling apart. They're very separate, um, so it kind of works. But the movie as a whole just doesn't work. Um, it it for the first two thirds of the film, it's kind of rooted in reality. It's a it's a a dysfunctional family drama and then it turns into a uh you know a stalker serial killer not not serial killer stalker slash killer um 
film and it just it just unravels completely in in the last third of the film um i can't recommend it to anyone and it was i you know um casey affleck who has won an academy award for acting um did a, did a solid job through most of it and there's a couple scenes where he just has to lose it and i it's clear the director just didn't know what to do with him and um the direction they gave him was just like freak out but it's just out of nowhere for the character and um it's just a really really not great film uh every breath you take i i would give it a whew, i'd give it a 3 out of 10 uh definitely not recommend that um I also saw The Little Things, which I think played theatrically in a couple places, but uh, nowhere around here. Um, it's Denzel Washington and Rami Malek are um, horribly mismatched as um, Denzel Washington's kind of a down on his luck uh, past his prime detective who used to work in L.A. and then moved up north after uh, a case didn't go well and Rami Malek's the the new hotshot detective on the block and it feels very much like they're trying to trying to ape David Fincher's seven it's also it's set in 1990 I think primarily because so much of the confusion in this film could have been uh uh cleared up with cell phones so they had to set it in a time before cell phones existed and then uh Jared Leto plays a character who may be the serial killer they're looking for but we don't get any clear answer um that's i mean i guess it's kind of a spoiler but i don't care this is a terrible terrible film um beautifully shot it looked great and then the score was really nice but um all three of these actors um you know all three of them are academy award winners all three of them completely wasted in these roles um jared leto at least seemed like he was putting his all into it, um, even so much as they tried to give him a pot belly, and he, he he tried to ape the gait of a heavier set man, and you know he's committed to it. But the the costume slash makeup that they gave him uh, to try and look like he had a pot belly was just laughable. And you know this is a guy who has gained and lost tremendous amounts of weight for roles, so and it looks like they just stuck a shirt like a, a spare shirt underneath his shirt and uh you know because his face is gaunt and it just it just wasn't believable it was, it's ridiculous and there's no real payoff at the end um uh you know i think this got some hype uh, when it debuted on hbo max but uh everyone i know who's talked to it also did not like it um i'd give the little things a five out of ten uh just went nowhere and let's see then I saw uh, Judas and the Black Messiah, which um, Daniel Kaluuya won the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor, although it was really a lead actor role. Um, Lakeith Stanfield was nominated for it, uh, did not win, but they were both nominated for the same. They were both nominated for Supporting Actor, and uh, it's about the true story of Fred Hampton, who was... Um, one of the leaders of the Black Panther movement and how he was betrayed by one of the members and um, assassinated by the FBI. Um, it's a powerful film. It's crazy how it's as relevant, you know, 50 years later as when it happened. 
and um, very well acted, very well written, uh, excellently paced. Uh, certainly one of the best films of 2020. I didn't get to see it until 2021, but excellent. Um, a really, you know, a, a part of American history that I didn't know much about growing up and um, really important to hear about, uh, to learn about. Uh, Judas and the Black Messiah, I'd give it an 8 out of 10. Excellent film. Um uh, the next film I saw was Nomadland, uh, starring Frances McDormand, directed by Chloe Zhao. Hopefully I'm saying that correctly. Um, she's the only the second uh, female director to ever win the Academy Award for Best Director and the first uh, woman of color to ever win Best Director. Um, and Frances McDormand won for Best Actress again. You know, a, a, and it won Best Picture as well. When it's... Um, when I won at the Oscars, I I hadn't seen any, hadn't seen it, knew very little about it, and I was just like, oh, it feels like they're going with a safe route. But de- after seeing the film, um, it was excellent. It was it, you know, it is the best twenty twenty film I have seen. Um, it would have certainly been on my year end best of list if I had seen it at that point. Um, but it's a very interior film uh, dealing with, uh, you know. Uh, this woman who uh, Frances McDormand plays, who has a very um, nomadic lifestyle, and uh, you know, after her husband died, traveling around the country, living out of her van, and uh, it's uh, it's you know really connected with me. It's sort of a lifestyle that I have contemplated and um, been thinking about doing, uh, you know, in the next five to ten years, about getting a vehicle and you know traveling around. So uh, it was interesting to kind of see that, and it's. You know, based on a nonfiction book, a lot of the a lot of the actors in it are not actually actors. They're uh, real people that um, were part of the, the nonfiction book that it was based on. And um, really just interesting. Uh, it is more of a character study than an actual story. Not a ton happens in it, but it is, um, you know, a beautiful portrait of humanity. And uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I'd give Nomadland a, a nine out of ten. And then the last movie I saw, um, a documentary called All I Can Say, which is, um, you know, co-directed by Danny Clinch and uh, Shannon Hoon, as well as uh, Taryn Gold and Colleen Hennessy. Um, Shannon Hoon was the lead vocalist of the band Blind Melon, um, one of the songwriters. And, uh, you know, I was a huge Blind Melon fan. In the 90s when they were a band, and so I was very sad when Shannon Hoon died. And uh, this documentary is comprised solely of footage that Shannon shot with his Hi8 camera. And so it was interesting to see the arc of his career from 1990 to 1995 um, through his own eyes. Danny Clinch uh, was is a photographer and uh, was just starting out his career when Blind Melon became big and he photographed them a lot. He's, he's still a rock photographer and he, um, became a friend of, uh, Blind Melon in general and Shannon Hoon specifically. And so this was a real labor of love for him to kind of pay tribute to his friend and going through all the hours of footage and making it into a cohesive story. It is, it's interesting, you know, cause obviously I knew how the story ended, um, 
And it even, even if you weren't super familiar with it, this film from the very beginning kind of shows you how it's going to end and, and then rewind, literally rewinds backwards in the beginning of the film to, to start at the beginning of their career. Um, there's a beautiful blind melon documentary called letters from a porcupine that came out in the late nineties. And I thought that's all, you know, that's the blind melon story that so I'm ever going to need to see. And then this was kind of a different side of everything. And you could really see the toll that the, the quick rise took on Shannon specifically. And, uh, at times it's hard to watch. There's, it's interesting because when he died, his, his only child was only a few months old and she's an adult woman now. And she's in some of the, the bonus features talking about watching it. Um, there's some footage of her playing with the surviving members of blind melon, you know, blind melon is a band again. Now, uh, they have a different vocalist, obviously. Um, so it was really interesting. Um, I was thoroughly captivated the whole time, but it's really hard to recommend this to anyone who is not a fan of Blind Melon um, because it's such a specific uh, audience that it's made for. So um, as a film on its own, I'd give it a, a solid 7 out of 10. But um, if you're not a Blind Melon fan, not that familiar with them, you know, it's maybe a 5. Um, even though it's an excellent documentary, it, it's you kind of have to be in the know to really appreciate it. So, um, yeah, but I, I, all I can say, I re really liked it. Um, yeah. So that is the new stuff that I've seen over the past month or so. Like I said, I'm going to keep seeing movies in the theater. Looking forward to seeing new movies in the theater. And uh, the next episode will be me recounting the Coen Brothers uh, filmography. Yeah, thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you soon.